Welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Broman, Principal Solicitor of TBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And I'm here with Ush Danik, former corporate lawyer, then head of HR, and now an emotional intelligence coach. How are you, Ush? I'm good. A bit cold because we are recording this one at night, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. It's good chilly morning. here too, but we've got the Is fire it? cranking. Oh, yeah, nice. I reckon it's going to be a frost tonight because there's a clear night out there. Oh, yeah, I haven't even put the heating on. I was just like, no, I'm just going to have a hot shower. And then it was time to record, so I'm just in a hoodie. Keeping warm. <laughs> good to hear. I haven't spoken to you for a couple of weeks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's been um, a hectic couple of weeks, a bit of travel for work. And we had our first EQ Kids workshop. On the great, weekend. great. Yeah, so that was great. And yep. we actually You sold out. We sold out and we actually have a couple of our listeners there. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. There's one girl came, one girl, one woman came and she's like, oh, look what's on my phone. And I'm like, what? And as she was walking in, she was listening to our podcast. I was like, yay. <laughs> That's so good. Like feeling. Are they enjoying it? <laughs> they are. They are. We'll have to give her a shout out at the end. <laughs> yeah, we will. Hmm. Two last two weeks have flown for me. I can't even remember what I've been doing. It's just been, you know, flat out most days. So although actually there was one thing that I wanted to talk to you about because last week or maybe the week before on 10, they aired a documentary called The Final Quarter and it probably was a little bit controversial, but that's why I wanted to watch it. So I watched the thing on 10 play and it was all about Adam Goods the um AFL player oh yeah. yeah yeah and how it was the last 18 months of his career and how racism pretty much just tarnished his whole career up until his retirement mm. and it was really interesting how it was done so they didn't do any new interviews for the documentary and they mm. didn't do any voiceovers all they did was used all the media clips from that period and put it all in order and obviously some heavy editing and whatever but really good really thought-provoking and just made me think how minority groups, whether race, religion or gender, were allowed to achieve to a certain degree and so long as we're conforming. But as soon as we start using our platform, once we get to a certain level of success, Mm. you just get torn up to pieces. Mm. So true. Like I, I've been following that and the whole story when it first came out and it's just it's fascinating, isn't it? And you know, the perception of it all as well. Mm, that's right. And my perception of the whole thing was completely different in the middle of it. I thought that it was, you know, just a whole lot of angry men playing up to each other, really. <laughs> but looking at it in a short one and a half hour period was really quite confronting. Mm, fascinating. Mm. So I really recommend watching that. And then as I do, I tend to go down a rabbit hole when I'm interested in something. <laughs> so I then listened to an audio book that came out a couple of years ago and won a whole lot of awards called Dark Emu. And it was a look into the archaeological findings that they've had over the last few years around Aboriginal settlement and culture. And, you know, I learned practically nothing at school about any of that. And it was fascinating and made me feel really proud for that culture and proud to even be part of Australia, but also made me feel quite ashamed that I didn't know 
some of this stuff, although some of it's only just been found in the last 10 years. But still, yeah, really, you know, as I do, deep dive into something and learn, you know, learning is one of my values. (laughs) It was, wasn't it the top one? Yes. Well, there you go. At least you're being authentic and being true to your values. Jackie. Yeah, very much so. And hey, didn't I see a post that you put on Facebook somewhere in one of the groups about your book cover as well? Yes. Yes. So what's the verdict? What are you what, what are you doing there now with the book? Yes. So I've chosen the cover. It's quite simple. Just white background with legally wise women on the front and the little yeah. owl logo. And so I've selected that and I'm just dealing with the graphic designer now to put together the back page and the blurb and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, you know, I'm a little bit unmotivated to get into my second draft. So mm. I thought if I have a book cover, it's a bit more real and I might yeah. push myself. Yeah. <laughs> and print it out and keep it in your office, like on your wall or something. So you go, yeah. right, I've got the cover. Yeah. No, I might even wrap cool. it around my diary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Put it around a book or something. Mm-hmm. How many um, chapters have you got? It's broken up into six parts and there's three chapters per part. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so you just gotta, you've got to just break it into micro goals, haven't you really? So like maybe one part every two weeks or something. Um, yeah, something like that. But I've also, you know, I've got all my legal facts in. I'm now at the point where I need to focus on who my reader is going to be and actually speak like I'm talking to that person instead yeah. of as I would in an interview rather than just reciting legal facts. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, if you need me to read it, let me know. Happy to. Awesome. Thank you. Yay. Okay, um, I'll give you the EQ, EQ spin on it. <laughs> yes, that would be great. And, you know, if I go too technical, you'll let me know. Absolutely. Because I'd, I'd like to think that I'd be a reader as well of that book. Mm. So, yeah, happy to. Excellent. Thank you. So, I got to chat with Susan Wareham. So, she's going to be our guest. And we'll dive into that interview in a minute. She was a little bit nervous in the interview, so she was really well prepared, which comes across once she starts getting comfortable and and talking about what she knows because Mm. she is so knowledgeable. She's had 25 years in leadership and management. She's been on various boards. Um, She's been consulting to government, large business, education. Wow. You know, she's... So Jackie, what, if she's done all of that, what did you do to make her nervous? Now I'm curious. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's, no, I'm joking. it's these things of stepping out, isn't it? And talking and, and putting yourself yeah. out there. Yeah, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scary, don't you know? <laughs> I, I was thinking, like, what have you done? <laughs> So she's been running her own career consultancy since um, 2005. So helping um, women start positioning themselves for executive roles or into boards and feeder positions for boards and being really strategic about that. So that is Mm. Susan. So let's dive in and have a listen to the conversation. Susan Wareham, welcome to the podcast. How are you this morning? Jackie, I'm fantastic and thank you for having me. You're really welcome. Look, before we dive in too much to what I really want to talk to you about, I like to ask people what they wanted to be when they were growing up. Right. Well, Jackie, I didn't really have any particular career that I felt driven to, Mm. but I was essentially a straight A student at school. I was an avid reader. 
I was the typical child that would rather spend time in the library than play sport. So I always knew that I would do something that would involve words and using writing skills. Then as I got older, I developed an interest in psychology, which led to an interest in HR. Then I discovered strategic planning, was totally hooked. I just loved strategy, strategic positioning, all of that sort of stuff. And so I've managed to carve out a career now that involves using them all in providing career services. That's fantastic. And so how long then have you been in business for yourself? 14 years. Great. Okay. But I have a portfolio career. I can currently have a job in the government too. Oh, right. Okay. So what's your career path looked like? Well, in the early years, I worked in banking and corporate HR roles. And then I moved into a leadership position with an association where I looked after their policy, planning, marketing, corporate profiling. Wow. That, yeah, that was really interesting. And that led to a move into government almost 20 years ago. And now in that role, uh, for five years, I managed the ethics, awareness and capability function for 85,000 employees. <laughs> in one, I know, <laughs> it was a lot to do. In one of Queensland's largest public service agencies, and then moved across into my current role in that same department as Principal Integrity Advisor. So while I was doing all that, I established my consultancy in 2005 because working for somebody else wasn't enough. There was just that little entrepreneurial part of me that had to be fulfilled Mm. by doing my own thing. So I established it in 2005. I've run it, yeah, for 14 years. And another thing I was doing during that time, from the board perspective, I led the Queensland Government's Women on Board strategy for 12 months. I served on the um, Australian Business Women's Network Board for eight years. Mm. The um, Australian Business Women is now her business. I've also served on and advised many business and community-based boards, including Chambers of Commerce, Education and Immigration-related entities. So in a nutshell, that's what my career looks like and where it's been. That's so great. And you're such a busy woman then, aren't you? I am. I am. I've got my challenges. I can tell you, who else takes their laptop to the hairdresser? Um, now you also mentioned her business because that's where we connected. I'm a member there as well, but it, it's great to know that you were on the board for some time there. Yeah. And so I saw that an article that you'd published was shared in the Facebook group for her business. And that's really what uh, led me to reaching out to you because I wanted to talk to you about women on boards. Right. And in particular, I wanted to ask you, you know, about quotas, I suppose, on getting women onto those big boards where we're just not represented. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, Jackie, I guess there would be two aspects to address that point. Mm. I guess the first aspect is the environment as it stands that is preventing women achieving perhaps all they could in the board sector, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The second thing would be basically what do women feel about quotas themselves? What do my clients, for example, who would like to be on a board, what do they feel about quotas? And I think that's very relevant because it's not all about doing things for people. It's doing things that people would like to have done to facilitate their development into an advisory board member or indeed a non-executive director type role. So essentially, if we look at the the concept of quotas, personally, I'm not in favour of it because I think it can lead to tokenism. 
Mm -hmm. I think it can lead to a perception amongst board members that the person who has come on because of a quota is somewhat lightweight, Mm. does not really have the gravitas that the rest of the board might have, Mm -hmm. particularly if it's a board of men in grey suits, Mm. as I call them, Mm -hmm. and you happen to be the only woman who's there because there is a quota to have X percentage of female representation on your board. And the other thing is it can lead to tokenism. Mm. And I have never had a woman come to me and say, Susan, can you please help me be the token woman on a board? You know, people are highly talented executives and highly talented women with so much to offer. They don't need tokenism. They don't need quotas. What they need is a culture change in my mind. Yes. the kind of messaging I get from them. I don't want to be on the board because I'm a woman. Mm. I want to be on the board because I'm the best person for the job. But the culture is basically not letting me demonstrate that because there are gates that I cannot get through to even show what I'm capable of. Mm. And that really kind of leads to the second part of my comment in response to your question, Mm. the environment that women face in getting onto boards. And I think this is relevant to quotas because I think after going through it, it basically demonstrates a quota is not going to fix these problems yeah so would it be okay if I went through quite a few environmental factors that my clients find are blocking them from getting onto those boards oh look that would be fantastic because I look I tend to agree with you about quotas they feel like an unnecessary evil at the moment and they're being imposed because of the environmental situation so yeah if there's things that can be addressed differently love to hear it okay just don't ask me for all the answers <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> this is a major cultural thing okay well first off and i think to a degree this is relatively unique to australia there is a corporate culture of mateship that permeates mm-hmm. high levels high levels of influence i think it's fair to say mm-hmm. in australia and everywhere from government down really Mm, boys networks boys club yeah all that sort of thing so that's the first thing that essentially knocks female candidates out at the start Mm. they are different they do not fit into this ingrained cultural um, persona for want of a better word the that is then exacerbated by board members tendency to appoint their own image and we go back to the comparison i drew earlier about men in gray suits you know yes this is what happens it's much easier to get somebody on board who thinks like you is from your socioeconomic demographic who speaks like you and who to make waves or challenge the board's thinking and particularly uh, it appears in a lot of very well established boards long established boards it's very hard to shift their culture and get a fresh perspective onto that board. The other thing is that surveys and research have demonstrated that significantly fewer males than females see the lack of gender diversity on boards and in leadership roles, which are often feeders to board roles, mm. as a problem. They just are not aware of it. So, and they, well, they're either not aware or they don't see it as an issue. So it's going to be very hard to change that sort of thing yeah. without a great awareness exercise. But the point of putting to some sort of awareness about this being a problem is that many people don't think it is. So, you know, it's kind of going around in circles, really. Very hard to change that sort of concept. There are organisational expectations of a straight line, always available, geographically mobile career model which basically knocks women out from the start. Because as long as women bear children, there will always be inequity with regard to this expectation unless it's actually changed. 
Mm. Okay, board feeder positions are predominantly filled by men, again leading to a perpetuation of male dominance in leadership and board roles. Mm. Uh, There's often a significant lack of support for women who wish to continue to build their careers after having a child. For example, not a lot of organisations have personally tailored return to work offer tele provision of high quality on campus affordable childcare. Regardless of you know the perception that we're becoming a more equitable society, women still do take on the brunt. Yeah. of childcare and other caring responsibilities. Mm. And the lack of these facilities simply adds to the barriers to women participating on boards and at the high corporate level. The other issue, which I think is quite a key issue, is the access to suitable mentors and sponsors oh, yes. for women. A lack of access to a mentor can be a problem, but a lack of access to a sponsor is an impediment to progressing because if you don't have a sponsor who will basically open doors for you, advocate for you at the higher levels, you're already at a disadvantage. And once again, you get back to the mateship culture, the, you know, the fact that there is a male dominance in these roles. Mm. And it's much easier for people in those roles already to find a sponsor to push them even further up the ladder. So, yeah, so effectively we've got all of those things happening. Yeah, and as you say, many of them perpetuate themselves as well. As you were going through those lists, I was thinking, well, you know, the first couple of issues might sort of resolve themselves in a couple of generations, but is that fair to wait that long? And then people in the the men in grey suits, as you call them, who don't see... Um, a lack of diversity is an issue, they're what they don't believe the research or then, mm. yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And they have the control mm. ultimately. And then, of course, you have the issue of the glass cliff that if a woman does get through that glass ceiling, gets onto a board or into a significant leadership role, mm-hmm. they're often selected for it because they'll put their hand up because they see it as an opportunity Mm. where a man won't because the environment that they're moving into is either very dynamic or almost poised to collapse under them as soon as they get into that role. True. Quite a lot of women have put their hands up in leadership roles where an organisation's in crisis, isn't it? So it's not going to never going to be a win-win situation. No, and you could you see it in politics too. Without you know turning this into a political discussion, but on any means. Mm-hmm. But I think Julia Gillard was a textbook example of that. Yeah. Yeah. So you know it just demonstrates it doesn't matter what level you're at. Women still have a somewhat perilous position when compared to men, which isn't to say that many many thousands of women have extremely successful board and executive mm-hmm. careers. But I'm basically just saying, you know, if you from people who want to achieve that, there are specific impediments that women face. Yeah, and we need to be conscious of them before heading down the path so that we know what to expect instead of naively bumbling in and then not being able to get where we want to get. In terms of being able to find suitable mentors and sponsors, it also occurred to me with the Me Too movement, more and more, particularly corporate leader men have sort of come out and said, well, now they're too scared to have dinner alone with a woman or even be in an elevator alone with a woman. Do you think that that's unfortunately taken us a step back or do you think it's just a and, and sensible men will have always existed and will continue to, to look out for women? I think it's self-preservation. Yeah. I really do. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I can't mm. say much more, <laughs> but it's self-preservation with a capital S. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all about me 
and unnecessary. Yeah, I am going to say more, although <laughs> I can't. <laughs> You're not doing anything wrong. What are you concerned about? Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Um, it's a bit of a yeah. Yes. That's right. So knowing all these environmental impediments, looking into feeder roles for board positions, what are some of the pain points that um, professional women come up against? Quite often they could come up against pain points related to a lack of transparency in recruitment processes. Now Mm. that could apply to men too, of course, but once again... Through my lens, I see it happening more to women. When you're looking even for a feeder position, which could be almost middle management, it doesn't need to be top executive roles, but there are influences that that can make a decision, an employment decision before it's, you know, before the ad even goes up, the job's been uh, decided. Yeah, I think ultimately the main pain point for women looking to get into feeder positions though is that many women have taken time off work before they get to that position mm-hmm. taking time off to have a child or because of caring responsibilities mm-hmm. and they are then at a significant disadvantage in being able to demonstrate their merit for the role compared with a male who has not taken time off for child-related mm-hmm child-related responsibilities, although they might be the father, it still goes back to the point that I mentioned earlier that women do take on a greater percentage of childcare and other caring responsibilities. So I think that's a pain point. I think the other pain point that women face in looking for feeder roles or if they achieve them, managing them, is the lack of time, work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, there's the fact of if you're taking sole responsibility for a child or if you're taking the, how can I put this, if you're taking most of the responsibility for a child, mm. you obviously cannot put as much into your work because you always have that, I mean, as a mother myself, I could say you always have that worry that you're solely responsible for the human being and are they okay and what's going on. It's yeah. really, really difficult to ba- and still match achievements of somebody who has passed that responsibility on to somebody else so yeah Mm. I think they'd be probably the main pain points yeah and as you're talking through those I keep thinking of um and and it's more likely men in gray suits who say this sort of thing that it's well you know it's the consequences of the choices that women make and it's almost laughable isn't it because it's not even uh like a choice like you you're stuck because you, yeah. you you want to have a family, but there's yeah. no one else really to help you with the burden. No. If you want to have a family, you're the one that's going to have the baby, which yeah. is obvious, of course. And, mm. yeah, it's it just really does go back to, I think, my point that while women bear children, there will be no equity mm. unless the overriding culture, the corporate culture, is changed. There can't be because it's just not possible to prove your worth against somebody that has not taken time out of the workforce. You know, even little things like having to leave work early a few days a week, Mm. it does all add up. You you know, you just put the, you put it all together and it paints a picture of somebody that isn't as totally committed to work as various other colleagues might be. 
And that in turn can rebound. And it's an unfair presumption, isn't it, too? Because the working mother is quite often the most efficient and is up to date with all her work. And yet because she leaves on time, in fact, not really early, but on time, there's the perception there. Um, They don't see her working at 9, 10, 11 at night, catching up and then just not mentioning it at work. Yes. You know, that sort of thing, balancing all of those responsibilities. They, they see somebody, yeah, who's mm. fulfilling their duties but not staying till 6.30 or 7. So Yeah, and it makes me wonder as well about the cultural aspect that you're talking about and changing the, the corporate culture because I think we're heading more and more down the wrong path that our individual worth is so much more wrapped up with our career rather than what we do in the community or our family. Whereas maybe 200 years ago, our worth was more around our community and family. So huge cultural changes. I think you actually are right there. I think a lot of people identify as what they are nowadays, not who they are. Mm. You label yourself by your worth. Mm. Mm. Wow, some deep stuff there, Susan. <laughs> yes. So, don't ask me about the answers, please. <laughs> I can get the questions really well and the problems, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and I think awareness is uh, the first step in a lot of cases, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, knowing all that you know now, what advice would you give to your 21 year old self? Well, with the hindsight, actually being a 21 year old many years later, first thing I'd say, we love it. Be proud of yourself. Don't hide who you are just to conform with others. And mm. the second thing would be to find the courage to face your fears because otherwise they'll control you. I'm still working on that one, to be honest. <laughs> it takes a lot to face some fears. But, yeah, yeah. And I think the individuality thing, you know, I have a personality and it tends to pop out. And I spent years trying to squash it. And then I realised I couldn't. It'll come out anyway. So now I love it. I just let it go. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. And I must admit as well, throughout my 20s, I think that I, the main reason I did things was to please other people. And those other people weren't necessarily even people that I cared about. Exactly. Mm. Were you being who you thought you should be, perhaps, instead of who you were? Mm. Or who other people thought you should be? Mm. Yeah, it's Mm. very painful, isn't it, when that happens? And but it does take a lot of strength to move away and say, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. That's right. It's almost a process of finding out who you are again because you give up a lot of who you are to please other people. You do, definitely. Mm. And, you know, ultimately you're responsible to yourself. You're the person you need to please. You only have one life. Yeah, true. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a bit profound. Oh, <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Look, what other tips do you, what other tips do you want to leave with our audience, Susan? Oh, okay. Well, Jackie, as if there aren't already enough external and structural <laughs> obstacles to women building border executive careers, as mm. we touched on, they often tend to undervalue themselves. Oh, so true. Women tend to think they're not good enough when they are, and then the imposter syndrome kicks in, but no justification. And then before you know it, another talented, intelligent experienced woman is lost down the path of I can't do it so what I'd like to say to your listeners is that if they want to build or grow their leadership executive or board career in today's rather dynamic as we've discussed and environment learn to believe in yourself and your ability be prepared to be strategic and play the long game 
because that is the way, that is the only way from my experience that you will be able to overcome these impediments to your success. You will get there, but self-belief is really important, strategy and having a long-term plan. As you mentioned earlier, not just kind of going into something quickly. Think about it first, plan, and then go for it. Yeah, that's so such great advice. And I was thinking as you were talking, um, having self-worth, is, it's often quite difficult to develop in a vacuum, isn't it? So it really comes back to mentors and surrounding yourself with the right sort of women and finding groups and maybe leadership programs and, and things that will consciously develop yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the issues that solopreneurs tend to face too. Mm. Yes, that's why networking groups and so on are extremely helpful. Mm. In fact, they're almost essential, I'd say. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you were saying to me just before we started recording that you do have an offer for our listeners as well, which sort of links in nicely to developing people's self-worth. So would you like to um, let people know what, um, what your offer is? Yeah, thank you, Jackie. Yeah, I would love to offer your listeners a complimentary career strategy session. If they contact me and just mention the podcast, I would be very happy to spend, say, 20 minutes, half an hour with them, just touching on their career strategy and seeing where they can go and how best to get there with the least pain. I think that's really important. Maximum efficiency, maximum success and least pain because careers can be tricky things to negotiate sometimes. So true. And that's such a great offer to spend 20 minutes to half an hour with you as you said to go over strategy which is one of your key tips to us is to have a a long-term strategy to achieve what you want to achieve with campaign Mm. a campaign yeah yeah Yeah. so where can people find you then to reach out and take you up on this offer okay well i have a website which is www.susanwareham.com my name.com and um, if they just click on the contact page send me an email and um, I'll be right back to them fantastic and I will put that website in our show notes so people can find that easily as well um, and you're also on LinkedIn aren't you I am yep my address on LinkedIn is again my name one word Susan Wareham perfect and so if anyone wants to continue the conversation that we've started as well on any of those platforms please tag us both because I think that it's so valuable to be talking about some of these things openly and making people aware of what has to be overcome. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the more people are aware of it, which as you mentioned, awareness raising is important. The more people that are aware of it, you know, it all helps to get things changed in the long term. Brilliant. We do love change. We do indeed. Change for the better. That's it. Thank you very much for your time, Susan. Thank you, Uh, Jackie. Brilliant conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. So, Jackie, yeah, look, I was just explaining to you that I listened to Susan's interview a couple of times and I felt like I got something different out of it each time I actually listen to it which was good mm. um you know about the whole quality side and then you know whether it's a numbers game and and that sort of side as well so the equality versus the numbers I guess mm-hmm. look I guess for me it brought up a memory so I'm on mm-hmm. the board of directors for a company that's a employee assistance provider 
Okay. So they do all counseling, you know, like the corporate counseling, like you have your in-house counselors that you can bring, you know, the 1-800 numbers. Mm. And they were actually originally a client of mine. So I was working in HR for a company and they were actually the EAP provider. And I just got to know them and I would, you know, encourage our employees to use them and just got to know the people there, got to know the board. And then I, when I left that employment, I started my own business. I obviously referred them and gave them referrals. And the clients that they worked with were very much male dominated industry. So they, they focus more support on maritime Mm. transport and and sort of those sorts of very unionized male industries and we got talking and then one day the ceo said to me would you like to be on the board of directors and i was like okay where's that coming from and part of me was like is it because i've referred them business number one do they feel obliged is it because i'm a female and it's a very male dominated industry with a board that is obviously male They've never heard anything, you know, to do with women before in that sense, especially at that board level. Mm. Or thirdly, was it because I needed to make the numbers up? Or fourthly, (laughs) was it because I had a a really good relationship with the CEO? So there was all these things going through my head. But the one thing that sort of didn't go through my head was, are they sort of calling me on the board because I've got something of value? (laughs) And it was just really bizarre because I was like, I've thought of all of these other reasons and other stuff that they've called me on. But why did I not think that they want me because I'm actually really good at potentially what I might do and actually have something of value? Yeah, Um, that's right. With a legal background, with a background in employment law and HR consulting, you have so much to bring in so many aspects. I agree. Why weren't you just going straight to that? Because it, I guess it's because it is so male dominated. It yes. was very unusual to have a woman. It's very unionized as well. And I guess in my HR role, I also ruffled some feathers with them. <laughs> so I'm like, oh God. And I remember going to my first board meeting and I, and I, and I wasn't nervous, but I was uncomfortable. Yep. And not that I couldn't hold my own or not that I didn't have anything of value, but I think it was just very testosterone based in the room. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but that's um, that's some good feedback. Uh, I've got a little bit of board experience as well. I was on a health board for a while, a government health board uh, for the, my local hospital. Um, so this was a few years ago when it was they were unpaid positions. I think now they get a small pay, and they now have a limit to how many years people can be on boards because they were mm. just getting the same people over and over again and never having any change. And I felt like I was filling a quota, firstly, because of my legal background. I thought they need, they wanted someone from a legal background to be on the board because, and otherwise I thought they were also filling a quota for age group more than anything else because everyone else on that board was either retired or close to retirement Mm. and they were from local business owners or education or had just been you know community members so that was interesting as well what boards are trying to select for so diversity across age groups as well as race and gender and um, all of that but it was a horrible experience for me I I think that I think that having a coach potentially like Susan to help people get board ready is really important because I certainly wasn't board ready. I'm as you 
I've probably gathered, you know, a doer and I need to get in and, and do stuff. And it was hard for me to sit on that board and not be able to do anything. You just had to read papers and be across issues to have a potential say, but you could never get in and do stuff. So I found that really difficult. And so it's a skill in itself, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm just curious, Mm. what do you mean board ready? What do you define as board ready? Well, I think that I just didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't realize some of the risks around it. I didn't know really what my role was going to be. You know, I understand governance and all that sort of stuff. And I'm a very strategic thinker, but I'm a strategic thinker and then implementer. I can't, you know, not get things done yeah Hmm. and in terms of risk you know the board papers that we would get you know a week before the board meeting would be hundreds of pages long and I spoke to other members on the board and they were just like we just read the summary and I'm like that's a huge risk or why create them I guess you know hundreds of pages long if they know that no one's reading them I guess that sort of brings me on to the second topic of just boards in general as well Mm -hmm. that Yes, there's governance. Yes, there's all this. But they are, like, boards are run so differently from board to board as well. So I think it just depends on what type of board you're on Mm -hmm. and how long, like you said, how long those people have been there. I'm not saying that they're complacent, but I guess they've just got their own way of doing Mm. things, which is probably still compliant, but just with their own little flair. Because I know I spoke about my board experience to another female who's on a board experience and hers is extremely different to mine. Mm. You know, even simple things like, you know, they go around and you know get consensus they ask opinions they oh that would be so refreshing yeah and that was just run very differently and and I guess it's a time thing as well so you know if people are dialing in you don't have that same effect as you do when you're in person getting together Mm. so yeah it's a whole different experience I think depending on what board you're on so Jackie the other thing that was you know of interest in in Susan's interview was was you know the concept around quotas you know what are your thoughts on that yeah I touched on it with Susan I I think they're necessary and I think it's unfortunate that they're necessary that's sort of where I stand at the moment I think it's interesting I heard the concept the other day of rather than meritocracy a meritocracy and it was sort of like what Susan was talking about people on boards tend to hire people that look like them or that they feel might have been what they were like 20 years ago so the feeder positions are just like those sort of people maybe because they're uncomfortable dealing with someone that they're unfamiliar with Um, It's just easier to bring on other people that are just like you and they're blind to the fact that they miss out on other points of view and they don't care and they don't think there's any value in that and they disregard the research. I just, and, and while there's that attitude, I think that's why quotas are needed. Yeah. And I guess what you're saying about, you know, that they bring people on that are similar to themselves, I guess it's, Mm. it's, they don't know what they're missing and there's probably a lot of fear around bringing on someone that is different because they probably don't know how to deal with potential challenges that are going to come up or the fact that they're going to be challenged and a fresh perspective which potentially one board member may go yep that's fine but then the majority may go well what's that about and Hmm. and it can just cause I wouldn't even say a division but in in my head they're probably thinking that a division in our board is going to be caused if we have someone fresh and new that doesn't think the way we think yep 
Yep. And thinking back to my own board experience, you know what it would also be? It's also because they want their meetings to still run exactly the same way and not run over time because they don't want a discussion around the table. You know, they have two hours in the evening that the board has to go to and it's packed full of stuff and there's no room for discussion and they don't want other issues raised or other things challenged. Mm, yeah I agree but then I guess if you go into the quota thing and is it necessary and all that sort of stuff I guess it goes back to how much change can can really be made and and how do we start making that change you know how do we how do people like you and I go on these boards and make a difference through emotional intelligence yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah look it is it is it's absolutely you know putting that fresh perspective getting them to think differently challenging them and I think we just need more people to start doing that or or vocally doing it because I'm sure there are people doing it and we just don't hear about it Mm -hmm. or it's not talked about often enough but I think you know the change is only going to happen if we create that movement around it I think so too and I think with enough emotional intelligence you can stand to the issues that you're concerned about rather than just conforming and remaining silent you've you've got enough confidence in yourself to to raise things and i think that that's a real issue potentially mm. for younger people being on boards because they do think that they have a voice yeah absolutely and look personal power is you know one of the competencies and areas of emotional intelligence and personal power is all about speaking your truth quietly and confidently with courage mm. so i think you know that pretty much summed that up really well as to what's needed and it's nice that it's the word is personal power because it it you know does demonstrate a bit of strength there as well that is needed plus the vulnerability and the courage associated with that as well yeah very much so yeah susan also sent me an interesting link which i'll post in the show notes but in in terms of change that we were just talking about this newsletter that came out it's from the australian research council Mm. and they did a summary of some of the research that they've did on gender equality in this newsletter and they were talking about the stalled revolution of feminism they were saying that you know for the last 30 or 40 years you know women have got more into higher education and um, more employment but in terms of inequalities in the home feminism have stalled there because bulk of housework and child raising is still Mm. very much a a female thing and it also raised over the last 20 to 30 years again we've had a stall in the gender pay gap because it's been hovering between 15 and 19 percent for two decades going up and down in that range and hasn't Mm. hasn't really changed so there's lots of little factors and and again for people to dive deep like I do sometimes um Mm. to to read more about that so I'll pop that in the the notes so thanks for Susan to for sending that through yeah that'd be great Mm. so as always our time flies (laughs) it does (laughs) it goes so quick doesn't it like you have a little natter and it's like oh yeah you feel like it's 10 minutes but it's half an hour and then then it's that time of oh letting people know where to connect with us (laughs) (laughs) that's right but first what are you what are you up to in the next week or so yeah look for me actually I'm going to share a bit of a challenge that I've got well not a challenge just sort of battling my own you know how we coach we've got to take our own advice at times so (laughs) I've launched this new program for emotional intelligence which is going out to corporates Mm. and it's already and now comes the sales strategy marketing you know getting it all out there 
And I was saying to myself, right, I need to really focus on that, put my blinkers on and just, you know, tone down the other areas of my business per se, in terms of the other services that are the one-on-one services and all that sort of stuff, just for a while. So I can really give my all to this launch and and get it out there because it's sort of been my baby for two years to create it. And then I sort of made peace with that. And then there's this scarce mentality that kept creeping up in me going, well, I need plan B and you know, well, I still need to continue on the other revenue streams just in case. And, and I was feeling really uncomfortable hearing that. And I was like, Oh, I don't like it. It feels yuck. And so yeah, my, my challenge this week or my thing this week is turning my inner critic into an inner coach and sort of just, yeah, dealing with my, my little inner demons, so to speak. (laughs) The resistance. Yeah. Yeah. And just, backing myself and going all in and everything I know that I say Mm. to my, you know, my client. Now it's just time to put my money where my mouth is and yeah, do the same and talk myself into the same thing. So yeah, I'm going to have, um, yeah, a very structured, clear focus two weeks and connecting with businesses and letting people know what I'm doing and who I am and what this program is going to do for them. So yeah, that's me for the next two weeks. Fantastic. What about you? Very powerful. Well, I suppose in a similar vein with the resistance of me doing my second draft, that's why I'm trying to trick myself into getting this uh, yeah. <laughs> book cover done. So it's a, it's a different way to approach it instead of just trying to plow through. So next two weeks are just, you know, still normal calendar full of legal appointments. I'm already booked out for the next two weeks and I've got a women's business breakfast this Friday coming. So some good networking and hopefully meet some other great women to come on our as a guest. Amazing. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. Actually talking of that, I'm I've been nominated as in two categories as a finalist for the Oz Mumpreneur Award. Yay. Well done. So that's exciting. So it's gonna be in Melbourne for three days in September. So I was thinking actually for our podcast as well that there'll be some amazing women and yes. one person I do want to get on on here. I'm gonna give her a shout out now, a friend of mine called Courtney uni and she's actually a finalist for Oz Mumpreneur of the Year. Wow the main category excellent and she's done phenomenal so she's got a business where she renovates homes before they sell. Her biggest defining moment and I love it was her husband quit his job and now works for her and I was like (laughs) far out that's just insane that's amazing. That is great. I'll be I'll be cheering her on but yeah I was thinking it'll be a really good topic actually for the podcast for um, how is it working getting your husband to work for you and doing his performance reviews and all of those sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun. Not. We'll have to get her on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what else? We should try and set a couple of hours aside in that busy three days that you will have packed full of stuff to try and do some live ones with you. Yeah. Let's do that actually. I'll be there in, I think they're running it Wednesday to Friday. Mm, Um, They've got some, I'll give you the dates. I've got some awesome, guest speakers and stuff as well oh hey you can meet me there it's in melbourne that's right (laughs) (laughs) only just clicked hey this is a nighttime recording not a morning recording (laughs) that's right the brain powers Um, are small yeah but i have to eventually meet you can you believe it we haven't met face to face (laughs) well what do you call this well yeah bad non-makeup face to face for me anyway (laughs) on screen (laughs) on screen yeah, so we should do that definitely and or even do a Facebook Live one as well. Let mm. people know that yep. we're there. Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. I'll give you the date. So we're at that time. 
where can yes. people find out more about you? Yeah, I'm at ushdanik.com. Great. The new program that you've got, is that got a special page? Is there somewhere where no, you it's just on my page and it's called Equation. So mm. yeah, look, I'd love our listeners to go check it out. Give me some feedback. Let me know if it's of interest. And yeah, it'd be awesome just to get some feedback on what it looks like. Mm, yep. Sounds good. Um, and you can find me at jackiebroman.com or through my main business, tbalaw.com.au. And of course, you can find both of us at our IQ Meets EQ podcast website and yeah, redirects to both of us and um, all the episodes are there. So we'd love to hear from you. Comments on the webpage are really appreciated. And again, reviews on your favorite podcast app. We love to get those. So thank yes. you, everyone. And yeah, I'll catch you soon, Osh. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Bye.